How are you doing? You doing good? Happy February. Can you believe we're already into the month of February? Wow, it's amazing. Time is flying. Well, so glad to have you with us. For those of you joining us online today, like I said, we're so glad to be with you. I'm glad that the same spirit that's in this place can be where you are today. How many of you are glad to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. It's just something I just love. I feel like we borrow courage. Sometimes when we're worshiping, we're, it's like we're live, lending and borrowing courage to the people around. Have you ever experienced that? Where you just come in, maybe you're like on a high, and it's like, I'm ready to praise God. Other times it's like, I just need to be around some people praising God. And we lend and borrow courage. Um, we're always looking for an advantage, aren't we? Right? We always are looking for an edge that will help us achieve our goals and get towards uh, the things that we are, uh, you know, that we are working towards. And you know, whether it's like the inside scoop, I was in uh, getting my driver's license renewed recently, and I heard someone in the waiting room, and they were talking to a friend, and they were like, you know, what's the route, and like, where are they going to take me? I was just trying to get an inside scoop so I can know what to expect. You know, we go to uh, people who have been ahead of us in life, and we say, can you give me some advice? I need an edge or an advantage to get through what we're going through. Well, this is an Olympic year for the Summer Olympics, Paris 2024. Any Olympic fans in the house? Yeah, anyone who you don't watch sports at all, but you love to watch the Olympics, I love. It's like the only time uh, in my life when I watch javelin and discus and all that stuff. I love watching the sports of the Olympics, and I especially love the backstories. I love hearing how that, you know, I'm watching with Holly, and she will record the events, and she just wants to see the event. I only want to see the final event. Like, she doesn't want all the build-up and the lead-up, but I'm like, I want to see the stories. I want to hear, how did this person get to where they are? What have they had to over? what challenges and obstacles have they faced. It amazes me what the human body and the human will are uh, capable of, right? I look at these athletes and I think, man, I, I could do that, you know? If I put in the amount of time and training and effort, it's amazing what you have the potential to do. Well, when it comes to that level of sports, we know how competitive it is, don't we? The events are won by millimeters, and races are lost by like one one-hundredth of a second. We, we know how competitive it can be. And so the margin between victory and loss are so minimal that athletes are always looking for every advantage that they can get. Now, we know that's led to some dishonest decisions like doping and, and steroid use. We, like, we know that performance-enhancing drugs have been banned uh, you know, for providing not a, a, not a level playing field. We hear about that every year, it seems like. But did you know that some innocuous things have also been banned, like running shoes and bathing suits? Did you know that those things have been banned too? This is a picture. This is the Nike Vaporfly. Any, any runners in the house? This is the Nike Vaporfly right here. This running shoe has been banned from the World Athletics Association. It was first uh, debuted and it was worn. It was the first shoe that they wore. The, the runner ran a marathon in under two hours. And this is the shoe that they were wearing. And uh, upon further inspection, the World Athletic Association, they said this shoe provides too much technological advantage to the runner. And so that's it. I don't know. It looks like a shoe to me, but uh, somehow in the soles and the composition, too much technological advantage. Uh, here's a picture. This is the Speedo Laser Racing Swimsuit. Anyone own a Speedo? This Speedo... 
uh, was developed with Speedo along with the Australian Institute for Sports. And so they built this Speedo uh, using NASA technologies. They went to NASA, they used their wind tunnel, they used their fluid flow analysis, and they marketed this swimsuit as the world's fastest swimsuit. Um, I'll see if you see one of these on Skaha or Okanagan Beach next, uh, next year. Right, but this superior design, advanced fabric, they claim cut down the drag, it repelled the water, and it squished the athlete's body into the tightest, slimmest, most aerodynamic silhouette possible. And they said that it would cut down your speed, or cut down your race time by 2%. 2%. But you increase your speed by 2%. That's every advantage you could get, even 2%. Michael Phelps, one of the most legendary swimmers of all time, he says, when I hit the water in a laser swimsuit, I feel like a rocket. Well, the marketing wasn't all lies either. At the Beijing Olympics in Beijing, 98% of all the medals for swimming were won by athletes wearing the Speedo laser swimsuit. It was so, such an advantage that world records were being broken. And the Japanese swimming coach said this. He said, if swimmers don't wear the laser racer, they won't be able to compete. At the Olympics, uh, athletes from other countries who had sponsorships and endorsements with other brands uh, gave up their swimsuits. They were wearing the Speedo, even at the risk of a fine from their uh, sponsoring company because they needed the advantage just to keep up. Well, after a year, these swimsuits and the competitors started to catch up. And after a year or so, world records were breaking in all the swimming events. And uh, and the Federation for Swimming said, you know what, this is too much of a technological advantage. And they banned their use and put more stricter guidelines into what a swimsuit could be. It seems like everyone's always looking for an edge or an advantage, right? For the highest athletes, 2% to one-hundredths of a second, whatever edge they could get, they're looking for. It could be the difference between winning gold and missing the podium. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you wear, does it? It matters who's in the suit, right? I could layer up Speedo racers, and how many know <laughs> that Michael Phelps is going to blow me out of the water, right? I, I could give you the Nike Vaporfly, but probably Andre de Grasse in bare feet could beat us all in a race, I'm sure. I, I love this clip from Gatorade. Check this out. Your moisture-wicking fabric isn't enough. Your zero-weight shoes aren't enough. Your carbon fiber racket isn't enough. The apps that track, analyze, and motivate you aren't enough. Nothing you put on is. It's up to you. You and what's inside you. What you put into it is what you get out of it. Simple as that. You explode into the record books. You show no mercy. You come back strong. You win from within. Who's thirsty now? <laughs> I love this. It's not what you wear on the outside. It's not what's going on around you. It's you and what's inside of you. You win from within. Turn your neighbor and say, you win from within. You win from within. Now, how many of you ever wish that you could have a spiritual advantage? 
maybe an advantage over your attitudes or over your circumstances, an edge over your doubts or your fears. Maybe you've thought, like, I have this idea, I have a picture of who God's called me to be, who he wants me to be, and yet it's such a struggle to get there. How many wish you could just have an advantage or an edge in being who God has called you to be? Maybe you're like me and you thought, if I could just have Jesus here to coach me. If Jesus were just beside me each and every day, my faith would be stronger. You know, in the moment, I'd have more courage and boldness. I'd know what to say and do if Jesus were here coaching me. And I know what I definitely wouldn't do if he was here watching me, right? The disciples, they certainly loved having Jesus with them. They spent every day for three years listening, learning, being coached by him. And you can imagine that they were shocked as Jesus started talking about leaving them. We see that story unfolding in John chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me, to John chapter 14. It was the night before the crucifixion, and Jesus and his disciples were gathered together for the Last Supper. Uh, they didn't know it would be the Last Supper. They were just gathering for a Passover meal. They didn't know it was going to be a historical moment. But we see that Jesus in John 13, it says that he knew full well what was about to take place, but his disciples had no idea. So we come to this place where Judas has left the room to betray Jesus. He's on his way to the high priest's house. And Jesus starts talking to his friends about something really heavy and hard to deal with. To these disciples who's given up everything to follow him and learn from him, he starts talking about them being on their own without him. And he starts giving them his final instructions, reminders of what he's taught them. He's trying all the while to reassure them and not freak them out. Have you ever had to break the news to someone about something that they didn't want to hear? Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14, 1. He says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I am going to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm leaving you soon, but it's going to be okay. This is what he says in verse 14, uh, 16. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. You win from within. Let's go down to verse 25. Jesus continues, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So just praying through this year and asking God what he put on my heart to preach and teach about, I really felt the Lord talking about our need to look at the Holy Spirit. We look at the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. For some of us, we've grown up in church contexts where we under-emphasize uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've had a friend, and he was a pastor, had gone to seminary, and uh, he was in a different faith tradition. And I remember his students went away to camp when they started having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then he called me and he said, I, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. I need you to teach me. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, what Bible have you been reading all these years, Right? 
We have some traditions, or other traditions, we see this overemphasis of the Holy Spirit. We see everything's the Holy Spirit. We kind of look, and it can be uh, off-putting sometimes. I was looking at videos online. If you put in, like, Holy Spirit or Pentecost on, like, YouTube or TikTok, like, you can get some wild stuff in there. You know, people doing things, and we're like, well, I don't really want that. That's not really what I'm looking for, you know. It can make us afraid about the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This morning I want to say we overemphasize or underemphasize the Holy Spirit. We know the Father. We worship the Son. But how much do we know about the Holy Spirit? As we look through scriptures from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth that was formless and void. From the beginning, the Holy Spirit was part of God's plan, a part of God himself. We see the triune nature of God. God in essence, one, and in persons, three persons, the Holy Spirit. We see at the Old Testament as Followers of God would be having the Holy Spirit come upon them for significant moments. It was like the Holy Spirit would come upon them to accomplish a task and then would leave them. We see as the New Testament, as Jesus comes, we see that the baptism of Jesus says that the Holy Spirit appeared in the form of a dove and it rested upon Jesus. And in that newness of life that God was starting something new, we see the Holy Spirit's presence there. And then we see Jesus here. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is with you and will soon be in you. Over the next four weeks, I want us to look at some of the facets of the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack some of the, the nature and the character and the work that the Holy Spirit does on our life. This morning, I want to talk to you about the indwelling Holy Spirit. He is with you and will soon be in you. Next week, we're going to talk about the refreshing Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the empowering Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the anointing Holy Spirit. But today, I want to talk about the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now looking back at John 14, Jesus said the Spirit will indwell you and he will also live within you as another advocate. The, another advocate, the, the Greek here is alos parakletos. Anyone say alos parakletos? Now you're, some of you, you really, you're like, I don't really care about the Greek. And others of you, like, you really nerd out on some of that stuff. And so alos parakletos, there's two Greek words for another. The one chosen here is alos. The other word is heteros. We know that word heteros. We use it in other contexts. Heteros means another of a different sort. Right? We th most commonly probably thinking the word heterosexual, of a different sort. Right? But alos is another of the same sort. And Jesus is saying here that there's another of the same kind. And it's a parakletos called to be alongside of. The paraclete. He's to be alongside of you as your comforter, counselor, your helper, your coach, your guide, and your advocate. What Jesus is saying here, and as I'm leaving, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm sending you another just like me who is called to stand with you, who will never lead you. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus. If you want to know what he's like, he's like Jesus. We don't fear Jesus. We love Jesus. So we don't have to fear the Holy Spirit. We can love the Holy Spirit. We welcome Jesus' work in our life. And in doing so, we're actually inviting the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you another one just like me who will stand with you and will never leave you. And then he says, he's the spirit of truth. He will teach you and remind you of everything I told you about. 
He says the Holy Spirit will be unrecognized by this world because they aren't looking for him. We often have this sense, you know, what's wrong? Even non-believers will be, there's something wrong in our world today. As believers, we understand what it is. That we understand that they don't have the spirit of truth. Without it, we can be easily deceived, but there's no spiritual discernment without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But Jesus says we have a coach to keep us on course. And he's not just a coach beside us. He's a coach within us. You win from within. See, the Holy Spirit is our source of true spiritual understanding. He glorifies Jesus. He builds up believers. And he enables us to live our lives for Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that we are blind to the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 that we are not even able to perceive, let alone enter, the kingdom of God. This is what he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you undergo a spiritual rebirth. That's part of the Holy Spirit. His work in you, regenerating you and coaching you, standing beside you, living within you. The Holy Spirit helps us understand and apply the power of Jesus' truth to our life. He helps us win from within. So in John 14, we see Jesus, he's breaking the ice with his disciples about his leaving. In John 15, he talks to his disciples about the importance of them remaining in him. And then we come to John 16. And what he's really saying here is he's, I'm trying to give you a heads up. I'm trying to assure you because he knows that there is going to be some things, some hard days coming. He says in the, in the coming days, he doesn't want them to be surprised at the opposition and the discrimination and the persecution that they're going to face. But he wants them to know that in the end, it's going to be okay. He says in verse 4 of John 16, I didn't tell you earlier. In verse 6, he says, I, I know you're grieving over what I've told you. But then we come to verse 7, this powerful declaration by Jesus. He says this. He says, it's best for you that I go away. Maybe your version of the Bible says, it's to your advantage. I'm going to say advantage. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is this, that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. And judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Then he says this, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. It's to your advantage, Jesus says, that I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. You know, as long as Jesus was on earth in physical form, he could only be in one place at one time. That's the nature of him becoming incarnate, God among us. But he's sending another helper uh, who was Alos, just like him, who lives in each and every believer simultaneously. That's the advantage, Jesus says, is that the indwelling spirit, 
And then he says, the indwelling spirit will, will bring conviction, will bring guidance, and will bring glory to Jesus. Let's talk about this for a minute. Conviction. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Here we see three areas that the Holy Spirit wants to bring conviction to us. Sin, essentially, is the disbelief in God. That's what he says. The world's sin is that they refuse to believe in God. He wants to convict us of this. He wants to convict us of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. He wants to impress upon our hearts. And it's not until we understand that conviction that we can actually turn to Christ our Savior. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. And so part of the Spirit's work is to convict us of our sin. Not to make us hide in condemnation. But to turn to the saving grace of Jesus. To run to him in conviction. We see he convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. He convicts us not only of what's wrong, but he convicts us of what's right. He, it says here that we can have right standing with God, knowing that it's not earned or deserved or achieved of our own efforts, but by what Jesus has accomplished for us. Sometimes we need that reminder. I don't know if you've ever felt like a failure, that you've let God down, that you've, you know, you know, you've done it this time, but the Holy Spirit convicts us that it's not of our efforts, but what Jesus has done, that we earn righteousness. That's what righteousness is for us. And then he convicts of judgment. Judgment will come for those who remain in their sin. Now, as followers of Jesus, I'm so glad that it's not my role to bring conviction to anyone. My role is to simply say, pray and ask God that he would use me to share the truth of his love, to chew the grace with them in the midst of the Holy Spirit convicting them. I, I just love that it's not on me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of us need to know that in our children's lives, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of us need to take a step back and try to convict our, stop trying to convict our kids and just praying that it would be the Holy Spirit's work in their life. To trust the Spirit, to do what only the Spirit can do. As followers of Jesus, we, we need to stay open to the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives. That conviction will always lead to repentance and obedience if we allow it to. Have you ever had the little voice in your spirit that's kind of pointing out that maybe your actions or your attitudes weren't necessarily lining up and reflecting the righteousness of Jesus Christ? She just had that little conviction. I talked to one lady this week, and it wasn't just a little voice. She's like, the Lord was screaming at me, you know? Stop what you're doing. Change the way you're thinking. She just was laughing with me. And on the other side of it, she just said, there's so much peace in giving in to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, not only will the Spirit convict us, but the Spirit will guide us. Verse 13 says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. Over and over, Jesus promises this coming helper, and he refers to him as the Spirit of truth. In verse 12, we see that Jesus recognized that there were things the disciples were still not ready to learn yet. They weren't able to comprehend or understand. And it says that the Holy Spirit will give us a deeper understanding of the person and principles of Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. He wants to reflect and help us grow in our understanding of the person and principles of Jesus. And he wants to help us grow in spiritual capacity and understanding. Jesus was assuring his followers 
given the bad news that he'd just given them, that he was leaving, that the Holy Spirit would help them navigate an unknown and an uncertain future. How many are glad for the Holy Spirit's leading in an unknown and uncertain future? How many can say that you've experienced that guidance in your life, amen, all over this place? Now, just as the Holy Spirit helps you navigate your life. Now, some of us try to live our lives compartmentalized, don't we? We try to separate our normal life from our spiritual life. We have our Sunday worship and we have our work day and leisure activities. But how many know we're not supposed to live our lives compartmentalized, right? But we actually to live our whole lives submitted to Christ and is leading through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Any parents in the house? Anyone here who has parents? Right? It says that we are the children of God. As parents, how many know that you don't care only about specific areas of your kid's life? You care about all the areas of their life. Right? How many have parents that have cared about all the areas of your life, even when you were telling them to butt out and leave you alone as an adult child? Right, They still want to be involved and know what's happening in your life. As a parent, you care about your kids' well-being. You want to care about and be involved in all the areas. And so not only does the indwelling Holy Spirit give us guidance in spiritual matters, he guides us in applying spiritual principles and brings God blessing to every area of your life. I remember Holly and I, we were looking to buy our first house and we had been renting in a, an apartment. We had one child at the time. We were living in the city of Burlington and the you know, pricing on housing was going up all across the, the greater Toronto area. And uh, we were talking about, you know, someone asked us, do you want to buy a house? And we are like, well, we'd love to buy a house, but we want to live in the city where we pastor, but that's not going to happen given the current you know, financial climate. We're going to have to live 45 minutes from home. And that's what they do in the Toronto area. People just commute uh, to wherever they can wherever they can get an affordable house. And I said, but I have this sense in my spirit that I want to live in the city where I pastor. I don't want to live 45 minutes from the church and, you know, invite all my neighbors, hey, come to Christ and come 45 minutes with me to the church. You know, I don't think they're going to come, are they? Right? And so we were, you know, praying. And we're like, God, what would you have us do? And, and one afternoon I got a phone call and my friend said, hey, look at this thing I saw in the paper. And uh, it was an advertisement for uh, government grants for first-time home buyers. And I called that number, and I said, I'm a first-time home buyer, can you help me? And they're like, yes, this grant has actually been available for the last two years, but this is the final weekend. You called us just in time. And I said, well, you know, I'm not poor, but I am, I am poor, if you know what I mean, right? And he goes, no, no, you're exactly the kind of person we're looking for. You, don't, you can afford a mortgage, but you don't have enough for a down payment. I said, yeah, that pretty much describes it, and every other millennial these days, right? And, uh, and so we're in this place where they said, you know what, you were approved for this grant. But here's the catch to this grant. This grant has to be used within the city of Burlington. And I said, okay, well, I have to use it in the city where the church is. I have, to, I have to live in this neighborhood. Well, Holly and I started looking at houses. There's only five houses on the market at that time in our price range. And uh, you know how my wife is. She's already researched everything on MLS. She, she knows what's available. And uh, she's already seen all the houses before we went to them. But when we went and we did the tour. And the last house of the day was the house that she absolutely loved, a little town home. And she said, this is the house that I love. And our agent said, well, the bad news is that this house already has an offer on it. And uh, they were actually coming back with a second offer in about an hour from now. And uh, so 
In my mind, I'm thinking it's already sold. Like, too bad, Holly, I'm sorry. No, you'll love it, but I don't want to get involved in the bidding war, my first house, you know, all that kind of feeling. It's already sold, basically. And so we walked through the house, and it was confirmed. That was the house that she loved. And it was the last house of the day, and so Holly and I went across the street. We told our agent, you know, we're people of faith. We just want to take a moment to pray. And so we went across the street, and we, we prayed. We said, God, what neighbors would you want us to have? That was our prayer. Not what house. What neighbors would you want us to have? Where would you want us to live, Lord? And in that moment, I tell you from like, I had zero interest in putting an offer on this house. To my mind, it's already sold. I felt the Lord just, just if you know what it's like to hear the Holy Spirit, just the Holy Spirit just like, offer this much. Offer 4,000 below asking. And I said, oh, Holly, you know what? I just went from like not even thinking about it to like I feel God would put an offer on this house. And so we went to our agent and said, you know, agent, we'd love to put an offer on this house. And she said, okay, well, let me see. And she kind of, she called some, she, okay, the second offer is supposed to come in half an hour from now, but we've got that pushed back. We have two hours to get our offer in. And uh, so we went home and we waited. And how do we know the fear came over us? Oh, we should have offered more. We should have, you know, we really want this house now and we're not going to get it because we under-offered and it's below, you know, all this stuff in our mind. And, and I looked at Holly, I remember in the kitchen going, no, the, the God told us that this is a number that we should offer. And about nine o'clock, her agent called us and said, congratulations, you just bought your first house. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, for your spirit's leading and your interest in every area of my life. Now, the cherry on the top of that story is that six months later in Ontario anyways, and you get them here, you get an, a tax assessment. Every year you get an assessment. What is your house valued at? Your taxes are based on that. And so six months later, we got this envelope in the mail, and as I opened it up, uh, they do it a little differently in Ontario, but they said three years ago we assessed the value of your house for taxation purposes. As a new homeowner, we just want you to know that this is what it was valued at, and how many know that it was to the dollar exactly what we paid? God just saying, I got you. I got you. In every area of your life, the Father is interested in your life. You can rest assured the Holy Spirit's help when you need guidance in your life. You don't have to live on your own, but you can trust and follow the Spirit's lead. Well, that brings us to this question, how do I know if what I'm hearing and sensing is the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's just me. It's a process of learning to know the voice. You know, as we're getting to know each other, some of you we've just met. Others of you, you can hear a voice. I was in a store the other day, and I was down an aisle, and someone turned around the corner and said, Pastor Jerry, is that you? And I said, I could hear your voice down the aisle. I knew it was you. You get familiar with the voice. But here's what I know about the voice of the Holy Spirit. The third thing the Spirit does here is that it brings glory to Jesus. Verse 14 says, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. You know you're hearing from and being led by the Spirit when your convictions and ideas are in line with the truths and principles of Jesus. As you read scripture, you think, is this what Jesus would do? Does this sound and look like Jesus? You can trust that voice. You know when the person receiving the glory isn't you, but it's Jesus. You can know that's the Spirit's leading. When people can look at your life and how you live and says, that looks like Jesus you know you're being led by the Spirit. And when the peace and the joy you carry aren't based on your circumstances and what's going on around you, you know you're being led by the Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit is your advantage who helps you win 
from within. Would you say that with me? Say, win from within. Win from within. Now, in light of this advantage that Jesus has promised us, in light of this advantage of having a helper, a counselor, an advocate to convict and guide and bring glory to Jesus in our lives, what do we need to be? We need to be coachable. How many know as those Olympic athletes are training, it's not just about the big event. As an Olympic watcher myself, I don't know who anybody is on the Olympic you know, podiums. I've, uh, you know, it's like I watch once every four years, right? And, if you, and so these people are all new to me every time. But for them, it's not just about the big event. For them, they've been training daily with their coach. Their training has led to these few moments on the big stage, but their skills were developed in daily listening and submitting to the instruction of their coaches. To win in the big moments of our lives, we need to develop the habit of listening and submitting to the coach, our Holy Spirit, in the normal moments and in the small moments of our life. One of the things we talk about the Holy Spirit, we think of this grand and mighty and, and these miraculous stories, but for every miraculous story or you know, impressive story, like I just told you about my house, there's been hundreds of stories where it's just little moments, insignificant moments, just normal moments, the Holy Spirit's leading. There's so many moments where it doesn't even seem like a spiritual moment. It seems just like a normal moment. As a staff, we always laugh that in our weekly planning sessions, we'll plan things, and it just seems, we, we always start in prayer, we say, God, would you lead us and guide us? But we make our plans, and it doesn't seem spiritual in the moment. We just come up with our ideas, but how many know it's the Spirit leading us and guiding us? And then as we execute those plans, people will say, wow, the Holy Spirit was working, the Holy Spirit was leading, the Holy Spirit was touching, and we think, wow, that was the Holy Spirit preparing us, but we didn't know it. It seemed very normal, Right? We think of the supernatural. God is unapologetically supernatural. And there are moments where it's just like, wow, this is mind-blowing. But there are also moments where you're like, this is so normal. That's the Holy Spirit on the daily basis. There's a big stage events. Yeah, there's things that happen that are grand and, and impressive. But there's moments that are just small and insignificant. But it's in those moments where we learn to hear and trust the Holy Spirit's leading. For us, it begins in fostering an atmosphere creating a space like we did this morning in worship. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you doing in our lives? What do you want to do? I want to encourage you. That's the importance of reading God's word. It says, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will bring back to remembrance what I've taught you. He'll illuminate scriptures to us, but we have to have some material in our lives already for him to bring back to our remembrance. As we're reading scripture, he brings back the scripture to our mind. The, Holy, the scriptures are a ruler to measure our thoughts against. The Holy Spirit will never contradict scripture. He speaks what has been given to him through Jesus. That's actually the Holy Spirit that we see was impressed upon men to write the Bible. Right? So the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures in conjunction with God the Father and, the, and God the Son. And so he's not going to contradict himself. He's not going to give a different word than what he's already impressed upon to be written in Scripture. What does it look like for us as youth and high school kids, as junior highs, as grandparents, as parents? How do we foster this kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit? There's periods of worship where we just focus on God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Just worship God. Set your heart on that trajectory there's other moments where we just need to have stillness and quiet 
where we turn off everything and just reflect on God, allowing him to speak. How many know that's so noisy in our lives every moment of every day that it's hard sometimes to hear the voice of God and we just need to turn it off? I'm a big music lover. I just, everywhere I go, you know, music from morning till night. But there's some moments I just get in my car and I just turn the music off and say, Holy Spirit, as I'm driving in this moment of solitude in this car, will you just speak to me? Let me just be in your presence. And the other thing we need to do is talk about it. We often think about what God's doing in our life as a private thing, right? We're just, this is a private, this is between me and Jesus. But I find the more we talk about, the more I share with what God is speaking to me about, uh, that God uses other people. Sometimes them speaking into my life. Sometimes what I'm sharing with them. Have you ever talked to someone about something that they're doing that inspired you? Like, wow, they're, they're on a weight loss journey or they're on a physical exercise kick or they're pursuing something and I'm inspired because of what they're doing. How many know some, when we're talking about what God's doing in our life, it inspires others that what he's doing for you, he can do for them too. So the Spirit needs us to be talking to other people or giving glory and testimony to what God is doing in our lives. I want to encourage people to continue pursuing God with their own. I'm going to ask you all across this room, let's just stand with me this morning. And all we're going to do today is we're just going to worship the Lord together. We're just going to worship God. And we're just going to say, God, we just lift you high. And I pray that over the next four weeks as we talk about this Holy Spirit, I pray that our awareness would be heightened. I pray our desire would be increased to be in partnership, that we would have more just of ourselves surrender to that spirit, that we would just see the Holy Spirit. Have you ever bought a new car? When your car's new to you, what happens when you get on the road? You start to see your car everywhere. We have this awareness. We just say, Holy Spirit, as we talk about you specifically over this next four weeks, God, I pray you would make us aware of you. Make us aware of you at church, God, in this moment of worship. God, make us aware of you in our car ride, in our commute to work, in solace, solitude and silence. Lord, make us aware of you, God, in the going into our work meetings or into that difficult conversation. Make us aware of you around the dinner table as we're encouraging our family and loved ones. Make us aware of you, Lord Jesus, in those areas of our hearts where you want to bring conviction. Lord God, make us aware of you where you want to bring guidance. Make us aware of you where you want to bring encouragement. God, from our living rooms, the hospital room, to the church room, God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be just enveloping us, Lord, that we would have this relationship with you that would be deepening and growing. Over this next four weeks, Lord, reveal ourselves. Reveal yourself to us in a fresh and powerful way, we pray in Jesus' name. So we're just going to worship God.